everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Mountain Bike Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Lee, with my co-host, Stephen Lewis. Hello, Jonathan Lee. How you doing, man? I'm good. Good, good. And we have a special guest with us. He's actually, I think you've you've kind of been in on the background on one or two episodes before. Yep. The day after my knee surgery, he That's was there. Yep. Right, with Brian Kennedy yep. in Stephen's house. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Zach Waymeyer. How you doing, Zach? Good. How are you guys? Doing great. Can you explain yourself and justify to people why you are taking up their airspace right now? <laughs> um, well, <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so mainly because I was doing an English project. And one of the projects was to create something like a blog podcast. And I chose, why not choose a best podcast for mountain biking? So Sweet. There <laughs> we are. We're being used. <laughs> we yeah. are. We are. And Zach, by the way, uh, Zach is a ripping, ripping rider, um, very fast rider. Uh, he rode for Turn Loose last year, um, Bolay. Uh, XC guy that's gone to Enduro. And at some point, Zach, we actually want to have you on an episode where we're going to talk about that projection, I guess, of, for lack of a better term, maybe, of yeah. how you get into riding at a young age now and then where it looks going all the way up. And so we'll get into that. But anyways, really? Zach knows what he's talking about. <laughs> uh, he happens to have a beautiful Yeti 5.5. Yes, I do. And yes. sadly, it's for sale. Yes. So uh, <laughs> if anybody's looking for a medium, uh, hit us up and we can connect you with Zach on that. Yes. Um, but Stephen, uh, let's just get straight into things with, this is a, I should preface, this is a midday podcast. I'm mm -hmm. squeezing it in on the lunch hour. We. So yes, we, yeah. you as well. Yeah. Zach has to go to work as well. So um, this may be quicker than normal, but maybe not. Uh, we'll try to be as efficient as possible. Yes. Let's get into the news. Sounds good. First bit of news, and not a whole lot of items we're going to cover right now because it is kind of the off season, so not a lot of things coming out. It is. Perhaps that's why Canyon released the Spectral. Maybe they're thinking not a lot of news. We can dominate the space for a while, right? True. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah mm -hmm. Clever dudes. Uh, the new Canyon Spectral, the 2018, was released. It's a pretty looking bike. Some really cool concepts on this bike. I like totally. it. Yeah, it's clever, it's interesting. isn't it? Yeah. yeah, it's a clever bike. Uh, Pink Bike comments are saying that it looks like uh, Jeffsy or a Specialized. I'm surprised. I don't know if anybody has said it looks like a Trek session yet, even though that's just the <laughs> pink bike uh, de facto answer that you do with every yeah, bike. Everything looks like a Trek um, session. Of course it does. But uh, looking at this bike, just appearances, first thing I noticed is the fact that they went away from the vertical shock. They mm -hmm. went to a horizontal shock. Yeah. It's mounted to the down tube, a la, you know, an Enduro. Well, Enduro has that weird X-wing thing, but, yeah. um, or a Jesse, like we said, yeah. or the Jekyll. Yeah. Yours mounts to the down tube, mm -hmm. uh, and plenty of other bikes. Yetis, all of mount. the Yetis. Yep. Yeah, yep. Beside the ASR, I yeah. should say. Rip. Well, that doesn't exist. R I R I P ASR. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, but it it doesn't necessarily mean that like uh, we've talked about before. Last thing you want to do is look at something and say, oh, the frame shapes are kind of similar too. So then you make the assumption that it is, but changing something as little as where that pivot is in the rear triangle or where that secondary pivot is on the frame, anything else like that can dramatically change how the bike travels through the suspension stroke. Absolutely. Yeah. So, but, uh, some of the clever stuff, um, Steven, what stood out to you on this bike? Um, honestly, the, the seat clamp. I mm -hmm. thought was a really interesting design. Mm -hmm. um, proprietary mm -hmm. might be really good. You might actually end up, uh, one of the problems that I've always hated about standard seat collars is that you end up clamping too much most of the time in the section around the seat collar, mm -hmm. and you end up 
damaging your dropper post. Yeah, or your dropper post doesn't work properly. Exactly, because like you're clamping too hard on it. Exactly. It's very sensitive yeah. to that, I found. So, so this might be a way that they are eliminating that issue or at least attempting to eliminate that issue. Yep. Yeah. So quick little pro tip. If you just put a dropper post on and you're wondering why it doesn't release fully or anything like that, go to full extension. Mm -hmm. Check the collar tension that you have, Yeah. how much torque is applied to that seat collar. If you are a quarter of a Newton meter off on a reverb, it will. Yes. Yeah. Exactly right. Actually stick. And that's why carbon paste is a good idea, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Like but even then sometimes. Yep. Yeah. yeah, totally. Zach, what stood out to you most about this bike? Because um, it's got a bunch of little quirky features on it. That is very true. I think the bottom, I mean, the, the bottom tube on it with the, the internal, down tube? the down tube. God, I can't oh, yeah, speak yeah. today. Um, yeah, I think that's so cool. Like it's the rubber... Uh, rubber down tube and all the uh, all the cables go into it. So not only is it easy for somebody to route cables into it, it also protects your frame. Yeah. So uh, Stephen, you want to describe what that thing kind of looks like? So really, it's a it's uh, the cable management system is basically a down tube protector and a. I guess like a rubberized plastic you yeah, know, yeah. cover that just houses a channel for all of your cable routing. So instead of running it through the frame, like yeah. up toward the head tube or on the down tube or on the the, the top tube or anything like yeah, that. You're running it on the exterior of the bike and then armoring the whole thing with a shell. Yeah. So it still has the aesthetic benefits of, of internal routing. Yep. It has the protective benefits of having a down tube cover in the bottom, but it all, but also it should be way easier yeah, for way mechanics easier. to work on. And no more down tube clank in, you know, with the, the cables rustling around inside. Um, that's, yeah. that said, I do think that it goes internal up the seat tube, I would well, assume for the dropper. To. Yes. Um, other than that, it looks like on the rear triangle, it still is external uh, through there, which is pretty neat. Yeah. Um, although it may be internal even perhaps the on the drive side think, chain yeah. stay. I think the derailleur housing runs through. No, it's even out. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's external. On the bottom. Yeah. yeah. So rear triangle is fully external, which is pretty interesting. So, uh, yeah, another thing that it has is it has a, dare we call it a swap box. I think that they call it the lunch box. Um, Perhaps that's what they call it. But anyway, well, I mean, it is shaped like half of a sandwich if you cut it diagonally. It's basically, it <laughs> so it is a lunchbox. It's basically the swap sure box if you just flipped it upside down and backwards. Yep. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Um, but hey, I think that's a good idea. And and uh, I think that more brands should do what Specialized is done with having the integrated storage all yeah. over the bike. And other good thing that I love about this bike so far in concept is they took Trex design with the, uh, with the headset limiters and yes. made it so that your top tube now will no longer get bashed by your uh, brake levers. Bike brands, please do that. Yeah. That would be so that. helpful. Yeah. And if not, why isn't there a third party that's somehow making like a stopper system? Yeah. It's possible. Yeah. We could do it. It is. Do you want to do you want to buy a machine shop, Steven, so we can just get into that business and make it happen? No, I'm good. Okay, cool. Well, then let's talk about another yeah. part of it. Uh, <laughs> something else that has this bottle system, because you can't carry two bottles with this thing. Mm -hmm. So it's they're calling it the double bottle holder and their eject system. And it's basically like, instead of a bottle cage, it looks like a big Y, if you will, or I shouldn't say a Y, like an I, like an I-beam of plastic that holds two bottles directly side by side. I hope, and I would only assume, that they have tested this and made sure that it clears the cranks. <laughs> that would be kind <laughs> of a problem. I'm thinking they probably did. I think they did. Um, but it's uh, an interesting way of going about it. Certainly not what I would call aerodynamic, but unless you're going 13 miles an hour off the brakes, that's probably not really affecting you anyway, Yeah. Um, or about 13 miles an hour. So... 
but an interesting way to, to solve the double bottle problem. I think they look like missile launcher pods. You know what? The funny thing <laughs> yeah. is you better call out any person that calls out. And, and of course, people are thinking this is just because I am a bit sensitive to this because everybody always goes, oh, Yeti, you, you eat poop when you drink your bottles or whatever else, right? Because they have down two bottles only on the SB bikes. Yep. These bikes will get covered in just as much stuff. Yeah. They have no frame to protect them. Yeah. So uh, it's like scuba don't you dare call one brand out for something and not call <laughs> another brand out for another. It's the you same deal. You are sensitive to this. I am. Dang. I, I, I'm a man of principle, and I like it when people are consistent. So, um, But this is uh, it's a it's a pretty bike. 150 up front, 140 in rear. That's the travel. Solid trail bike, 66-degree head tube angle. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing outrageous in terms of geometry. No, it's good. I mean, I think she's got some party in her. That's for sure. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Um, looking at 2,500 bucks for an aluminum build. That's pretty cheap these days. Yeah. 4,500 bucks for a carbon build that's uh, higher up. So anyways, uh, pretty interesting to see. They also have like a weird through axle system that I do not fully understand, but it looks like the, basically it's got a lever that kind of like folds in and tucks out of the way, but you can pull it out when you need it uh, to tighten things up. So kind of a clever way. Kind of cool. I like the way Canyon thinks, man. Yeah. Decidedly not XC, by the way. Decidedly not. Yeah. Um, speaking of decidedly not XC, uh, well, actually, no. This is this is probably and very most likely related to XC if this were to happen. We're going to get into more of this next week. Um, I think we should have Kurt Gensheimer on here. Yes. And we should have a full-on, um, I'll represent one side, he'll represent the other. Ooh. And we can have, you know. I'll get the pinball machine out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But like a friendly and, and, and with the intent of being um, educational in the uh-huh. end and helping everybody understand things. We're going to cover this, but the IMBA uh-huh. opposed allowing w- bi- mountain bikes in wilderness. Okay. Um, as we know, STC, the sustainable trails coalition, I believe they're called. Um, they are pushing for legislation to change, to remove the blanket ban on bicycles in wilderness. Yes. Uh, citing the fact that, uh, it's not it's not motorized and it bicycles were never intended originally to be omitted from this yeah um, instead they were planning on omitting things like you know motorized things like vehicles and everything else way back in the day right on chainsaws yes right on chainsaws <laughs> exactly never seen one of those <laughs> no <laughs> okay no I assume it would throw some gnarly roost yeah <laughs> yeah um, but Anyways, the the intent there is that that's dated and that mountain bikes should be allowed in wilderness. This whole thing uh, was made even more, uh, I guess I would say, um, a hotly debated topic when the Boulder White Clouds wilderness area north of Ketchum, Idaho, Mm -hmm. was uh, had hundreds of miles of trail, I believe, somewhere around 200 or something, or maybe more. It was something like 800,000 acres of land. And it was all closed off. Um, a lot of trails lost in that region. And so this sort of thing, there's, there's one aspect where riders might be pushing because, Hey, I love wilderness areas and I want to ride my bike there. Or some dude that just says, I want to ride my bike anywhere. And don't you dare limit me. Or people saying you're making our current riding areas, wilderness areas, and thusly shutting us down. Although I don't think that we have much to worry about with the current administration making anything a wilderness area. Oh. <laughs> That's another topic entirely. <laughs> yeah. Um, so sorry for all those that are international. Um, this definitely is dealing with something that's, that's stateside here. But it's something that's interesting and has a huge impact um, on where we go. 
And uh, although I do tend to lean one side over the other, I am very much, uh, I would call myself conflicted yeah. on a solid decision on this. Absolutely. So anyways, uh, this is going to be something that we'll be, uh, we'll talk about in great length, but IMBA, can we cover that really quick? Sure. Um, they opposed it and whether they oppose it or whether they don't isn't perhaps the matter, which is most important. I think they're absolutely irresponsibly, terribly bad communication that they've had, which that was a good example of bad communication that That's I just good. did. Yeah. <laughs> but great journalism. Thank you. There. The terrible way in which they went about communicating this yeah. is what is, is putting them in a hole. Yeah. Uh, IMBA, you need to fix a lot or else you are going to basically cease to be an organization. Yeah. And they're well on their way with the way that they've been acting. Yeah. Now, even if you oppose this, if you use this as an opportunity to really refine messaging and con and communicate the true intentions behind this and why your constituents would benefit from this, then, or supporters, I should say, then I think that you wouldn't have this problem. Yeah. But yeah. you've had this problem and plenty of others. Um, basic communications. Uh, you need help, IMBA. You need PR help. You should work with a good agency. Yeah. So I know a couple. Yeah. 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 Uh, they should work with it. So uh, next bit of news, and sorry, this is kind of local, but this is interesting. Uh, the great Auburn epic race was just announced. Mm -hmm. And so this is in Auburn, California. They call themselves the endurance capital of the world. I've always found that I don't know which panel voted on such a thing. I think the people in Sacramento. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But uh, anyways, it's an area with a lot of cool riding, and it's all around the um, what the American River. No, gosh, what do they even call it? The the Auburn State Recreation Area. <laughs> yes. Well, there's a very large river, the Sacramento River. Uh, no. No, American that's river. not. It would definitely be the North Fork of the American River. The American River. Yeah. That's the one. Anyways, huge gorges and mm -hmm. cool topography in that yeah. region. Very. Very. Um, cool. A relatively, from what I understand, smooth flowing non-technical trail. Uh, about not ninety always. percent, but then there's yeah. about ten percent that are like, "Oh dear lord!" Good. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. Cool. Gets rowdy. Okay. So yeah. good. So, anyways, the reason I'm bringing this up is because this is an XC race. Mm -hmm. It's no making no bones about that, but it's got an enduro format. So it's a it's a special stage set up. Yeah. Timed. Exactly. XC race. Yeah, 27 mile or 26 mile loop, I think. Mm -hmm. So 26 mile loop and only portions of that, I think three or four stages are going to be timed. So just like an enduro race, pretty cool. So this is this is basically towing the line between grinduro and a standard enduro. Yes, exactly which right. Which is cool. And I think that honestly, this is how most XC races should go. Still, I still think this is a better format for competition Yeah. because it more reflects, you know, that's yeah. why I think one of the reasons why enduro is so great is because it reflects why people or how people ride mountain bikes normally yep, exactly so hopefully i mean zach i know you just do enduro now but if they had more xc stuff like this uh, that was like enduro format would you be tempted to give any of it a shot i definitely would yeah yeah i mean this sounds actually really cool i just wonder how they're doing their segments like if they're gonna have like a segment that's just a hill climb then right after that's a descent um either way i'd be totally down to do it yeah they uh -huh. have some climbing ones they have one that's like rolling they have two pure descent ones i believe yeah. pretty cool um like one that's kind of like a man-made like flowy descent another one that's a more natural descent so nice yeah yeah i think it's pretty cool man um it's i kind of want to get on the xc bike and ride it yeah <laughs> it'll be fun yeah um so that covers the news uh for for today there are plenty of other things that, that hopefully we'll get into soon uh but Stephen, with that, let's get into the questions. Questions? Question. That's a ridiculous question. False. Well, that's debatable. 
Uh, we're only going to have a few questions. Um, we're going to start with John with many bikes. That's his. That's his name there, John with many bikes. I wonder how many bikes he has. I, I do too. He says, has anyone figured a hack for lock-on grips and they start getting play within the grip itself? Maybe some sort of glue or just go back to wired on motocross grips for trail enduro, free riding DH bikes. Can we cover how a lock-on grip works first? Yes. Okay, cool. Uh, Steven, can you cover that? Yeah. <laughs> so typically... <laughs> I should have been more clear. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so typically a lock-on grip is a hard plastic sleeve and then... On top of that, they co-mold your rubber grip. Gotcha. Okay. Then what actually clamps to the bar is that hard plastic sleeve mm-hmm. with little tabs, and that's where the lock-ons, you know, mount to the bar. So the is the tube itself, is the tube segmented, or is it all one piece and just the ends are what are allowed to shrink down and clamp onto the bar? It's usually all one piece, and then they basically flute the ends out to little tabs that have a relief cut in them so that they can actually clamp down on the bar. And they um, use a little Allen key or something like that yeah, to tighten it down. Yeah, like a little three millimeter. Um, usually it's either two and a half or three of different brands. But cool. um, So what ends up happening sometimes, I've noticed this a lot with the cheaper lock-on grips, and I hate to say it, but lizard skins. Okay. And what they do is the actual, the soft rubber part starts to separate from the inner plastic sleeve. Mm. And then it, when it starts moving, you can actually feel that, and there's no way to get around that. Um, you can't even wire on after that to make it. Really? Yeah. So you end up. I was just going to say, maybe that's a solution, wire tying something on like that. Well, because if the plastic sleeve in the middle is solid and can't physically be clamped down, wire tying the rubber on isn't going to help. Yeah, but the so. rubber is coming <clears throat> separated from that sleeve. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, I mean, it, you could try to make it work, but you're not going to run rubber every half inch along there or run the wire, the wire yeah. every half inch along to get it to hold still. Yeah. So it's kind of unfortunate. Yeah. Um, I think it's a quality thing. I don't think it's a, you know, lizard skins are obviously really expensive, but they're the ones that I've seen as the major culprit in the expensive brands. Hmm. Um, but I, I hate to say it, but there's not really a good solution for that. What would you recommend for a brand? Um, or for a model, whatever. It, it, honestly, like ODI and SDG have been pretty decent. Um, and then if you're willing to do this, I'm going to tell you right now, um, I actually just spoke with Heather from WTB um, after they did my WTB padlocks last year um, at the TDS Enduro. It was probably the hardest thing to justify and get over with with a set of carbon bars. Do I want to permanently <laughs> modify these carbon handlebars yeah. and stick myself with the WTB padlocks forever? And it was a hard decision to make, and I ended up letting them cut them for me. Yeah, and it's probably the best decision I've ever made. Like uh, those are the those, yeah. yeah. Not only does that that fluted section at the end where you have all that extra rubber, it makes it nice and soft, so you have something to rest the the palm of your wrist on, so yeah. you don't lose circulation. Uh, but they're amazing grips; they're really good. So I I like those, and I've never had a single problem with them. Awesome. So I I would recommend those, or if you want standard lock-ons, stick to your uh, your ODIs or SDGs. Yeah. Or Honestly, the more and more I started riding the scalpel, I hate to admit it, I like your stupid ESI grips. <laughs> <laughs> They're awesome. They're awesome, man. Yeah. They really are. But decidedly XC. Decidedly XC. Yeah. I, if I was doing an enduro, there's no way that yeah. I would be running that because crash in stage one, you're suddenly without a grip. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? Yeah. What grips do you run? Uh, you uh-huh. mostly race enduro, right? Yeah. Um, being with the local company, I run Census. Uh, Sweet. Awesome. And I've never had a problem with them. I like them. They're Lock super ons. tacky. Yeah. Nice. I run the lights. You run the bu- the, the B lights. Yep. Yeah. B lights. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and honestly, 
I, I think that the, I think that you probably in, when you John with many bikes said, and motocross grips for trail enduro free ride and DH bikes, I assume that you're implying there that, you know, XC is best with foam, something like that. So makes perfect sense. Uh, Wade says, I've been going bonkers looking for a power meter for my fat bike. Something I didn't think I'd hear when I woke up today. Yeah, <laughs> me either. <laughs> <laughs> but Wade, the reason that I included this is because I know of your struggle. Our CEO here at Trainer Road was actually going through the same struggle. So we have some insight, I think. Quark doesn't have a solution for 170, 197 millimeter spacing. The six millimeter clearance between the crank and the chainstay means none of the crank-based power meters work. At least the stages won't. And the new Garmin Vector 3 power meter pedals don't accommodate mountain cleats. Or put differently, I can't mount the Look Keo cleats to my mountain shoes. Specialized S-Works 6XC and Lake MX303s. <clears throat> Is there a worthy mountain bike or cyclocross shoe that can take the look or Keo cleats, or is there some other workaround to put those those cleats on my mountain bike shoes? Do you have any other suggestions for a power meter for, my, for a fat bike? First, I'm going to answer, do not put road cleats on anything mountain. Why do you say that? Because the moment you get dirt in them, the moment that, no, you do not want to do that. And they're plastic, they're it's don't, yeah. don't look, stop barking up that tree. Just yeah. don't do it. Either speed plays will just get gunked up and not allow you to get in and out. Yep. Uh, and we're talking the road pedals here. Yes. Uh, and then if you're using a SPDSL look, whatever else, uh, that, that similar style. Yeah. You have a fragile plastic cleat. Yes. When I say fragile, I know that you can stand on it and do everything else, but it gets chipped up really easily yeah. and, and can be bad there. Yeah. Um, so I'm debating on how much. I'll be very vague, uh, but but you, Wade, if you were a man that was looking for a mountain bike pedal-based power meter within the next, like, nine months or so, if you were to be that person, you may find some type of a solution after around nine months. So hmm. just throwing that out. But um, in the meantime, our CEO was running the – what's the specialized fat bike called? Probably Fat Boy, something like that. Probably. Um, yeah, I think so. The specialized uh, stupid. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Steven is not a fat bike fan. It's apparent. Um, no, we, we we understand fat bikes have we a purpose. Do. We don't want people to get upset. It's yeah. just they're, they're fun to knock on. We've done this before. But, hey, so is it's cyclocross. The thing. It's the moped thing. Yeah, so is cyclocross. I yeah, mean, that's cyclocross. ridiculous. And so, I do it in a tutu. So, yeah. You know, whatever. <laughs> Literally does. So um, our CEO was running an SRM on his specialized one. Mm -hmm. now, I don't know if yours has extra wide spacing, more wide than his, but he was able to run that and that was at a significant cost. Uh, some other brands that you can look into are four eyes. That's how you say it. And it's literally spelled out for I, 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 eyes, I think. <laughs> okay, good. So anyways, four eyes, uh, they make a pedal or a crank based power meter mm -hmm. that that has a different shape body and molded in in a different location. So it may provide you extra clearance. Uh, the other thing that you could do is you could look uh, for something that's like, um, uh, you could talk to the folks at Watt team. They make a power setup, power meter setup called the power beat. I know that a lot of people have had problems putting them together, like uh, in terms, because you basically get it. And then you calibrate the power meter yourself and you bond it to your crank arm. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've heard of people having a lot of issues with that. We have one here um, at Trainer Road and we had a few issues with them. But um, the main problem that you have is Q factor. And then crank clearance is the next thing. So you can talk to them to see if they recommend it with any type of mountain bike pedals. Uh, because basically what it does is it measures the strain on your crank and then um, it just uses accelerometers to measure the rest. Um, so... 
And you can even like, yeah, you can bond it in a spot to probably be good. So that's what I would recommend, uh, Wade. And for anybody that's also facing, because I know that people face this dilemma too, with certain bikes, they might have really tight clearance between their cranks and something yeah. else. So, uh, if that's what you're looking for, go for that. Uh, yeah. Daniel. Next one says, Hey guys, incredible job as always five stars. Every time I wanted to get your opinions on nickel and titanium chains, advantages and disadvantages. I ride a 2017 Trek fuel EX 729er. I'm in Baltimore. Sometimes I stop and I think people that aren't a mountain biker, which I know they aren't listening to this podcast, or maybe they are because somebody else is listening to it well, and buy it. It's to hear our voices if they are. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Not what we say. Thunder and honey. Say it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I just said 2017 Trek Fuel EX 729er, and they, that's, that is gibberish. Us bike people. Yeah. Anyway, he says, I'm in Baltimore, Maryland, inside, and ride mainly trails. Thanks in advance and can't wait for the next episode, hopefully soon. Okay. I've never experimented in the bicycle realm with any type of different metal in my chains, but is he just talking about coatings? This is, he's talking surface coating, oh, your okay. nickel coating or your titanium nitride. Um, so what these are is they're basically just a hard surface coating that is similar to your DLC or your Kashima coating or whatever, but this is specifically made for chains. And what the idea is behind both of them, nickel is supposed to be a more solid surface, mm. less porosity. So it's less, um, less ability for dirt to get into the pores. The problem with nickel chains is that lube also doesn't stick to them very well. So yes. that's so nickel there is is your issue, and then titanium nitride is a surface coating that uh, KMC plays with a lot. Like if you look at their, they have their X10 and X11s mm -hmm. that are like bright gold and yeah. just look super flashy. That's titanium nitride, and I'm not sure if the SRAM, uh, the the bird gold the bird. one is <laughs> the uh, if bird. that's titanium nitride. I actually haven't checked in on that. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but that surface coating is supposed to just be a very, very fine porosity. It's supposed to be able to hold your ceramic mm. lubricants or, you know, whatever in the surface better, but reject dirt. Gotcha. And they just increase wear life. That so, makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So, and it's a, and it's a very, it's a smaller coating molecule so that it creates a finer surface. In a place like Baltimore, where you deal with a good amount of snow and, and everything else and rust, I'm yeah. sure that's probably a good idea. Nickel's going to be more of a corrosion resistance and rust inhibitor. The titanium nitride is going to basically hold your lubricants better. So if you gotcha. need to have like a wet lube that you want to stick to your chain better, then you're going to stick with, you know, something titanium nitride. Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, can we take a quick little pause for a moment so we can just have a, imagine if you're SRAM and you made a very budget version of the Eagle, you could call it the Seagull. <laughs> <laughs> but would they call it the Seagull or would they call it like the Crow? <laughs> Who knows? Because Eagle, SRAM, SRAM abbreviated with an S and then Eagle, Seagull. I know that's oh, not how you spell dang. it, but that's what I'm saying. You're right. It's not the Crow. It's the Seagull. It's the Seagull. I like it. I like <laughs> that's it. what I'm saying. Yeah. SRAM, That's you can, I, I'm sure that, you know, I can be a think tank for you with these type of yeah. ideas. Yeah. Uh, all right. With that and the seagull out of the way, let's get into the, <laughs> let's get into the business. Okay. It's business time. It's business. It's business time. The business for today, uh, we're going to be talking about friends that you would have on the trail. But not normal friends. Not human friends. Not human friends. Dog friends. Dog friends. Yeah. Trail dogs. 
Uh, Steven, your Instagram handle is what? Dogs, bikes, and cars. So you're clearly passionate about this subject. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Um, and Zach, uh, you don't have a dog, right? I have three, but I rarely take them out. Yeah. Are yeah. they really trail dogs? No, they're not. No. That's what why. Ki- what kind of dogs are they? I have a, uh, I have a Westie. Okay. A Brittany Spaniel and a German Whitehair Pointer. It is a fat okay. Brittany, by the way. Yeah. She's... <laughs> that's a big dog. German Whitehair Pointer. Is that, that's, that's like a normal, like, is that, how does that compare to a short hair? Um, it's more like the, the hair, the is hair wiry. Is wiry. Exactly. <laughs> like it's exactly in the name. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Same thing. Same thing. Gotcha. Yeah, just yeah. longer and more wiry. That's gotcha. Exactly. And okay, they have cool. like a beard too. It's pretty so cool. They can be good trail dogs. They, they can, can be. be. They're yeah. very water efficient. Yeah. So, so yeah. And I know people are like, oh dear me. I didn't ask to, to listen to the Purina podcast where we talk about dogs, but. Let's um, not get carried away. We would never feed our dogs Purina. <laughs> That's a terrible dog food. True story. Um, but we're going to get into riding with dogs on the trail. Mm-hmm. When bringing your furry companion along with you is a, is a bad idea. Of course. How to properly bring your dog or train your dog to ride with you on trails. Teaching your dog trail etiquette. Yep. And then other things is in little gear and different yeah. items that you get for your dog. So um, first off, let's cover when it's a bad idea to bring a dog on a ride. What say you, Steven? I say when it's hot outside. Okay. And you're 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 exposed. Makes sense. Out of you know, out of the trees, you're exposed. Um, and when you don't have water, when there's no water available for the dogs to cool off in, mm-hmm. to drink, or anything like that. Any other situations that you can think of, Zach, where you um, would say it's a bad idea? I would say like big group rides. Yeah. It's just like as a as a person that's like trying to watch a dog, I can see a lot of stress. Uh, yeah. trying to make sure your dog doesn't get in other people's way, um, and so on. Yeah. Um, I also think when there's snakes around, you yeah, should like rattlesnakes especially, yeah. stay away from taking your dogs out. Snake season, aka year round in Arizona. Yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> but not year round here. Yeah, true. And I know it's not year round in Arizona. Anybody living there, I know that you have off seasons and on seasons with them too. Uh, another thing that I would say, uh, it, distance and mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the and the type of terrain you're going on. Yeah. Uh, your dog. Keep in mind when you're coasting downhill, your dog is sprinting. That's the hardest part. Yeah. For them mm-hmm. to climb, it's way harder for you to climb than it is for your dog to climb. Yeah. They still have to carry their weight uphill, and that's difficult. But relatively speaking, it's not as hard. They're also doing it slower. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then when you are going downhill, they are full on sprinting. Yes. So, uh, you want to pick a number one. You don't. You just need to keep that in mind. So you keep the distances low. Mm-hmm. Um. And like, I mean, you know, if you're doing, it depends on your dog because your dog can get conditioned and be totally happy with everything else. But, um, the, the other thing is the surface that you're riding on, uh, really rocky, sharp razor rock areas, no matter how tough your dog's paws are, it wreaks havoc on their paws. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which we'll get into the gear for that later. Yep. Yeah, Yeah, we absolutely will. And actually we're going to get to Zach's tip in this section before we get to Zach's tip. So it'll be a preemptive one. Um, I guess that the only other time too, I would say is like rain, even though your dog can handle it and everything else, your dog gets absolutely filthy. Mm-hmm. And what I found is at least, and we'll get into this, but I've trained my dogs and one of my dogs follows so closely behind my rear wheel. It's not a, a danger factor. She's always monitoring that, but she's so diligent about staying behind that rear wheel that she has a brown stripe, a <laughs> racing stripe down the center of her face when we're done, yep. right? Yep. She's just seen diligent it. on that wheel. <laughs> yeah. So because of that, she'd be getting water 
and mud flicked up into her eyes and her nose and her mouth the whole time. That would suck. Yeah. They don't need that. They need an eye infection. That would be terrible. So I followed behind uh, Dylan Santos, pro enduro racer at Downeyville one time in a downpour. And I felt just like your dog, Faith. (laughs) (laughs) Comparing Dylan to a dog. (laughs) (laughs) Comparing me to a dog. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. That's better. Uh, By the way, best run down in Downeyville ever. I mean, I feel like any time riding with Dylan is going to be a good time, too. Oh, well, yeah, yeah but in a lightning too. storm downpour. That'd be pretty awesome. Hour and two minutes back to town, oh, and it was man. the best. Yeah. Yeah. The dirt. Yeah. Uh, Dylan's so good. good people. So It was his birthday yesterday, by the way. Happy birthday, Happy Dylan birthday. Santos. Happy young birthday, Dylan. Ibis, uh, factory racing rider, rides for Pock. Ibis. Can't think of the other sponsors, but as these, you know, professional riders, their name is their sponsors. You know, yeah. you kind of have to do that. So yeah. anyway, support those people that support him. Uh, let's get into uh, the breeds really quick. Uh, I think that it's pretty fair to say that if your dog has longer legs and is is a, is a fit dog, it's going to be easier for them. Of course. It's probably the, the most blanket way to put this. Don't bring your Great Dane, though. They have long legs, but they're Why do you la- say this? They're, they're very lazy animals. They're not <laughs> super high energy. There you go. That's they a good point. Yeah, they can't handle the distance. They can't handle the exertion. So, Same with a Bernese Mountain Dog. Is it fair to say that a Basset Hound is just a bad idea? <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends how fit your Basset Hound is. <laughs> but no. Okay. You're typically not going to bring your Basset Hound unless you're just going yeah. out for a leisurely little stroll. Now, you can check out. Uh, little dogs are not necessarily a bad idea. Not at all. Yeah. I I know uh, down in Moab, uh, if you follow Get Fit with Fritz Get, on uh, I was Instagram, just say that. Fritz the Dachshund. Yeah. Fritz the Dachshund, man. He's ripping up slick rock every day, Hell giving yeah. you fitness tips too. Yeah. It's exactly. pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and we have two small dogs, mm-hmm. uh, not like lap dog size, but uh, one is, well, they're black and white. That's mm-hmm. basically their breed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're rescue dogs. So, to the best of our knowledge, one of them is a Beagle Dachshund mix, mm-hmm. right? Ace. Ace. Yeah. And he's he's like, a, he, he's about the size, he's the build of a beagle, mm-hmm. I would say. It's yeah. probably the best way to say it. He's average size of raccoon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's just extremely fussy and ornery, just like a dachshund. Yeah. So, yeah, Absolutely. lots of fun. Yeah. Um, and then Faye. As our other rescue dog, she's probably part Wolverine and Tiger, but she <laughs> yeah. she's an Aussie cattle dog for as well as we know. So yeah. she's got her Dalmatian spots, and yeah. and she's a. So those are our two dogs, and she's the same size as as Ace, our dog, but she's got about another four to five vertical in her legs and yeah. in inches, so she's taller. Yeah. Um, so those dogs are good too, mm-hmm. because they're both very high energy dogs Yes, and they like to, and I just have to keep that in mind when I ride with him. I can't ride that fast. Yeah. yeah. And that's, you know, and with my dog Moose, um, he is a Catahoula leopard dog. He is actually a purebred, but he was also a rescue. Mm-hmm. Um, he's very long legs for his size. Yeah. And he's, uh, right around, he's back down to about 69 pounds. He's almost to his ideal weight of 68. Pretty big dog. He's a big dog, um, and he is not a super water-efficient dog. Okay. So that's uh, that's one of the concerns that I have when I take him out in the summertime or when I try to take him on longer rides. His limit is seven to eight miles. Yeah. That's it, and that's with ideal conditions. Okay. And that's with me bringing water or having water for him to drink. Yep. You can see hand. you can see like Ruby the trail dog and other dogs the like Vishla. that. The Vishla, amazing. Yep. She is a Ruby is an amazing trail dog. Yeah, yeah. And the one thing I want to get across is the breed doesn't necessarily define if it's a great trail dog or not. No. Um, we had a collie growing up, a border collie, 
there was no way that we would ever be able to bring her out on the trails yeah. or hit him on the trails. He was so, he was so high energy, so crazy focused and always trying to herd everybody. And that yeah. would have been very bad. <laughs> yeah. So, because you don't herd bicycles when they're going at speed. No, you don't. Yeah. They yeah. just get run over, which yep. nobody wants. So, um, it's not necessarily up to the breed, but you want to take into the characteristics, the personality, everything else of your dog. Um, the one thing I can say is if you feel like your dog is too crazy or too, you're worried about it becoming too aggressive, anything else like that. Mm -hmm. If you can go through the process and we'll talk about this now on how to train your dog, it could be the best thing that could happen to your dog. Absolutely. Because I've, whereas with hikers, a lot of the time you get people that don't want to see a dog or they're kind of hesitant to do that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I've so rarely come across a mountain biker that doesn't love a trail dog. Yeah. Like, yeah. so it's, it's a good opportunity for your dog to meet people and say, oh, I don't have to be stressed. Yeah. I can be relaxed and these are nice people. And wow, it's actually nice to say hi to other people, yeah. you know, if your dog doesn't get as much socialization, you know, yeah. so, um, training them, uh, we trained our two little pups just completely on our own, just trying to use classical conditioning and logic mm -hmm. and it's worked actually really well. Yeah. And I think I have a system. I should okay. write a book. I should publish that would book. Would be a short book? It would be very short. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah, very short, like a 99-cent ebook or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, so basically, uh, our dogs, my, one of my dogs, Ace, he's just crazy hyper all over the place and, and hard to make him focus on something. Yeah. <clears throat> so the one thing that we found with him was we wanted to get more energy out. We had a pump track in our backyard at the time. Okay. So with that pump track, what we actually, I thought, man, because whenever I would ride it, he would just go nuts and he'd be spinning around in circles and jumping everywhere and he'd get in my way mm -hmm. and it was dangerous. So instead what we started doing was I took on walks with Ace, we had him on leash and then I started bringing my bike and mm -hmm. just walking my bike. And I walked my bike so that he was directly behind that basically. Okay. So, and then we would just do our normal walks and he would get used to following a bicycle behind. Yeah. And then we started to bring him out from behind that tire. And then I would say follow, and then we would guide him back behind. So we started to use this term follow. Okay. We would treat him. And then we started working with a click trainer to basically say, you know, we would click, we would follow, click him, do that. Follow, click, treat, follow, click, treat. And every time he would move in, you know, yeah. started to get him used to being okay and kind of subconsciously just gravitating into following behind a rear wheel mm -hmm. because the last thing you want to do is have your do dog out on the trail and have it in front of you. Yeah. It's, it's just not safe for the dog. Um, so then what we started to do is go around the pump track or I started to ride my bike on the walks just very slowly. And mm -hmm. he started to follow and he got more comfortable with me being on the bike. Then riding the pump track, he would just follow me and do laps and do doubles and rip the berms and stuff. Yeah. Just fun. And he was still doing the same thing with following. Yeah. I still have to use the command every once in a while to bring him in on focus. Of course. But ever since then, then took it out to single track and yeah, it's been fantastic. That's nice. his deal. When we get to fire roads, I kind of let go of the follow command, but he knows not to get in front. And he just runs to the side of me and he loves that. That's like his favorite thing on earth. So, um, but that's like a really good way that I've found to, and it took months for us to get him to where he was really solid, always following him behind. Yeah. But that's a good way to do it. So train him on the follow command, I would say, mm -hmm. and use that word, uh, too, because it's a unique word that doesn't sound like a whole lot else. Yeah. So that can get them to, to really sharpen up and focus in. Yeah. I've seen people riding with a leash. I and do not work. approve on, yeah. on yeah. mountain bikes on single track. I do not approve of that. If you're on a fire road only, I'm, you can run 
on a leash all day long. That's fine. I always have a leash with me yeah. when Moose is with me, and that's mostly for keeping him safe if a situation arises where, um, one, he's still very unsure of horse beasts. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we come <laughs> large, across- Large dogs. <laughs> yeah. So if he comes across a horse, um, I'll usually stop, get off my bike, leash him, and make him you know, go into a sit command, yeah. and then let the horses go by. Yep. And then I will let him off and we'll continue on. Yep. Yeah, I think it's a good idea. One of my pet pieces and people just think, oh, my dog can run around and it's good. Like we'll just bring – and I'm sure people listening to this are probably frustrated with this too. And that you just show up to a, to a ride with a bunch of people and you just let your dog roll around. Yeah. That's dangerous for yeah. everyone. And now so. now the thing is with, with Moose on a lot of our rides, uh, when we do have a group of like say three to five people. A small group. When we're climbing, he really is just kind of all over the place. But that's because he's off in the bushes yeah. and he's, you know, chasing bunnies and squirrels and just kind of doing his own thing generally yeah. nearby us. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. A lot of owners are not. Yeah. With I'm, our dogs, I, we, with and this is a good point yeah. with our dogs. I can't do that because our little guys our little ace and faith, they'll get distracted and go off on something else. Yeah. And it could, or they also, they aren't as perhaps as confident. Moose is pretty confident and He's, relaxed. Yeah. And so our dogs aren't quite as confident. So as a result, they could get into a situation where they act irrationally, everything else. So it's kind of like a liability that I've recognized with our dogs specifically that I have to keep them close. Whereas with Moose, I would not feel that way. Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing with Moose is when he gets, goes off on his own, he will immediately get that anxiety like, oh gosh, where's dad? And mm-hmm. you know, I'm his human he yep. is, has separation anxiety at points with me, <laughs> yes. oh, so <laughs> but, but so he will get a certain distance away and then he'll be like, oh no, I got to go back to dad. Yep. So he'll come back. Yeah. Now that has bitten us in the butt once. And this is where <laughs> Zach's, uh, <laughs> you know, trail dog, uh, I guess, uh, your trail dog experience, uh, came into it. A, yeah. a friend of mine took him when we were out on our Thanksgiving ride Yeah. and, uh, she was out hiking yep. with her dog and moose and Moose was kind of off doing his own thing and then separation anxiety kicked in and he actually took off further from her (sighs) because he saw mountain bikers Mm -hmm. and went to go hang out with them. Gotcha. Good dog. You know, good personality. I want to go go. hang out with the mountain bikers. Yeah. (laughs) And luckily Zach just happened to be out on that mountain as well and ended up, you know, running into our friend Sarah and, you know, ended up going and finding Moose and everything was fine. Um, But that... But that yeah. did kind of bite us once. Right. But if I'm always on a bike and calling his name, I know that he'll, you know, come back to me. So that's why I l- give him such a big yeah, free space. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and and I think that, you know, as long as you know your dog's limits and know how to interact with your dog to help keep them in those limits responsibly, then I think that that's the best trail dog etiquette. Absolutely. And I think the one thing for sure is just never let your dog ride in front of you or in front of other people Yeah, is the goal. And, and so, so with me... That's the funny thing is Moose prefers to be in front of me. Okay. And I will only let him do that if it's a night ride or it's something where I am controlling, you know, the speed regulating based on how fast he can go. Gotcha. Because he's not a super fast runner. Yep. On descents. Yeah. So he will take more of his time. Now, I don't want to bomb down a, you know, three mile single track and then sit at the bottom and be like, oh, where's Moose? Yeah, yeah. So I don't mind doing it in that case, but if that's going to happen, I usually let people go in front of us. Gotcha. Okay. Now, but yeah. typically I do l- like him to be behind me and he's right. okay with that. Um, 
you know, one of the other things that he'll do though for following me is when we're in an area where there's a lot of switchbacks, like the north side of the dry pond loop. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the little jerk trail cuts. So we're going down through all the switchbacks and he will just beeline straight down the hill. Yeah. But he'll stop on the high side of the trail, let me go by, and then he'll go down to the next section, let me go by. And so that's kind of a, you know, Moose is, you know, we've taught him over the years. They're masters of efficiency. Yeah. So he, so yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) it's funny how your training was so diligent and I'm just like, I'm, we'll figure it out, Yeah, you know, which is yeah. interesting, but Moose turned out to be a pretty decent trail dog. Right. So. Yeah. And with, uh, with riding with our dogs in the back, the first thing I'd like to say is you need to make sure that you have something on them that indicates noise. I yes. find that's safe for other people, but it's also helps you keep track of them. We have, it just happens to work this way. I have two different licenses on our dogs. Uh, one has one that sounds much higher, like a higher note. One mm-hmm. sounds much lower. So it's easy for me to tell which one is which and where they are, yeah. which is handy. Yeah. So get get a different bell or something. I'll say I hang bear, bear bells from moose all the time. That's it's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. And that way I keep track of where they are when yes. I'm riding. I can hear that and I go extra slow on, on the descents to help them. And part of this too, um, we're going to get into the gear really quick, but protecting their paws. I've noticed with like our dog, Dogs always want to cut every switch back that mm-hmm. they see, you know, but a lot of the time that brings them over pretty rugged terrain. It yes. can be really sharp rock or anything else like that. Yep. And, uh, it's been painful for my little pups. They've torn their paws up and, and even one of, uh, he sprained, I didn't know you could do this, but he sprained his wrist. Um, <laughs> I didn't know dogs could even do that. I didn't you know? even know they had a wrist. Yeah, I know. Right? right. Yeah. Uh, technically what would be his wrist, I guess, got sprained. So, um, it's a good idea to make sure or to do your best to help your dog stick on the trail. But then regardless of that gear for the dogs, starting at the feet or the yeah. paws, shall we say, it's a good idea to have boots. I don't have boots and I feel like my dogs would benefit from them. I also feel like they would make for a great YouTube video when I put the boots on them. Moose has a pair and there's a few YouTube videos. <laughs> yeah. That are funny. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure he goes, just jumps all over the place, but Boots are a great idea, right? Yes. Do you, what boots do you have? Um, so Moose actually has the Ultra Paws. Okay. Um, they're the the red and black. Uh, I think they're just called the Durable. They're just the Ultra Paw dog boots. Okay. And the key to these things is making sure that you, one, size your dog correctly. Because if you don't have the right size, you won't get them fitted properly, and you will lose one or two. Or all like, of them. It's like when a horse throws a shoe or something? Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> and then you're never finding it. I've yeah. <laughs> never found one that Moose lost. Um, yeah. But this is the first pair that, you know, with the double cinches on it. Yeah. Uh, it's the the only pair of booties that I've ever tried for him that stay on. Okay. Now, so they cinch down lower than cinch up higher. Yeah. So they gotcha. cinch they cinch basically just just above the wrist and then just higher than that. Gotcha. And so it's basically uh, there's a joint in there. I forget which one it is, but it's basically a wide spot. And so you're mm-hmm. clamping below the wide spot and above the wide spot, cinching it in place. Gotcha. So if it's done properly you'll be, you know, you're not going to have any issues with it. And now, Zach, you had an interesting tip on this. If, if the boots don't work or it's too expensive or something else like that, which those ones are only 35 bucks. Yeah. yeah. They're not bad. Cheap. They're we cheap. We haven't used those when... Um, I know Roughwear makes some that look yeah. really nice. Roughwear makes great stuff, by the way, for dogs, especially trail dogs. It's really heavy duty stuff. But uh, if you don't have those options, what did you do, Zach? Um, well, when my dad and I used to go chakra hunting, um, our dogs would always, their paws would always get tore up. And we tried most of the brands. I don't remember exactly which ones because it was years ago. Yeah. But what we did is we took uh, bike tubes yeah. and we cut them in half where it's like folded out. And um, we 
laid them over the paws, and we cut a little hole for the little claws to poke out. Okay. Then, like right above the wrist, we taped it off with like electrical tape onto the there we go. onto the uh, yeah. onto the rubber. And it's not a it's not a terrible idea. It's a it's yeah, a really it's good like method. Clever. Yeah. No. Absolutely. So, yeah. and the the ones just going back, the ones that Moose have are the Ultra Paws Ruggeds. Ooh. That's the model. Is the rugged. Ah, gotcha. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so that's a good idea. I think that's if you can have some type of protection on their on their feet, it's a, because also the dogs are running pinned a lot of the time yeah. to keep up with the bike. Yeah. So that that could cause them to make poor choices on yeah. hard terrain. And as soon as you tear a pad or wear a pad down, your dog's out for three or four days, and it's yeah. painful for them. They don't like it. Yeah, super painful. Yeah. Uh, the other thing we talked about getting some type of noise attached to your dog, mm-hmm. um, illuminated collars. We talked about that last yeah. week. The halo lights. Yep. Awesome. It's a good idea. My buddy Mitch just got two of them for his miniature long-haired dachshunds. There we are. (laughs) They're not trail dogs? No. No. There must be Burning Man pups. They pretty much are. Gotcha. Um, The other thing that I would recommend, and I I genuinely cannot recommend this enough, is get a quality e-collar for your dog. Um, E-collars are also called shock collars, and you can get these collars that they go around the dog's neck. It has two electrode points that make contact with them, and you'll be surprised at how little you actually use that part. Yeah. So most e-callers, good e-callers, have shock, have vibration, and they have tone. So Mm -hmm. it can make a noise too. In my case, with one of our dogs, if you use the vibrate, mode, he acts like the world has crashed down upon him. Yes. It doesn't it hurt him apocalypse. at all. But it's, yes, apocalypse now. <laughs> it has happened. So that's all you have to do. Yeah. Vibrate or a tone. And what it can do is just get your dog's focus. Yep. So one of the big things on trails is it's intimidating to a dog to be around fast bikes, big bikes, complex machines, other people on the trail, dogs, horses, foreign terrain, covering a lot of terrain that they're unfamiliar with. All of this can make a dog feel very unconfident and that's when they'll act irrationally. Yes. And I, what I've found to be so helpful for our dogs is getting an e-collar. I never use a leash with our dogs. I always carry one just in case. Just because if somebody else is more uncomfortable with it, I don't want to put that person in a bad spot. But we never use collars with our dogs, and they never run off. And if you would have seen our dogs beforehand, you would have never believed that because they were crazy, running off all the time, very aggressive. Ever since we switched to e-collars and gotten rid of leashes, they are so calm. They are relaxed. They actually can interact with other dogs and people normally. And it's a way safer way out on the trail with your dogs. I actually have my remote. It's a, I use a one called a Dogtra. That's the brand D O G T R A. Yeah. They make really good ones. So you can get a bunch of different models. I believe I have the 280. You can look that one up and it has two, it has two collars for one remote. So mm-hmm. I can worth both of our dogs. I can just have one remote and I actually glued the, the male portion of a Garmin mount and you can get it from SRAM. It's like a SRAM quick mount adapter. You can look at that on Amazon. Okay. I got that filed off the tabs on the back. So then I just had the Garmin mount part. Yeah. I epoxy that to the back of my remote and I just twist lock that into my Garmin remote spot or my Garmin holder. Nice. And it's an awesome option because then right there, right at my hands, I can just tap the vibrate when I need to. Yeah. When my dog is sniffing something for far too long and off the back, then I can just tap that vibrate and he comes right back up. Yeah. Just calls their focus to get, get back in. Absolutely. I can't recommend that enough. Um, another thing that you could do as well is get roughware makes a pack 
that the dogs can wear. Mm -hmm. Keep in mind that does make your dog hotter and it also makes them carry more weight. So they have to be in good shape and you have to make sure that you have plenty of water. But within that, you can carry water on those things for for your dogs. That's what I do with Moose is he has a, um, you know, on hot days where I don't want to carry water for him. I put the little, the rough wear saddlebag on him and yep. he carries his own collapsible bowl and his own little bladder of water. Yep. So collapsible has, bowls are a great idea too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that kind of covers it. I, I have found personally that just like night riding, how night riding brings out a way to enjoy trails yeah. that you never thought possible. Yeah. Same thing with riding your dogs. And I assume it's going to be the same thing with riding with my son when he can ride, but it's, it's, it's so much fun when you can take your dogs out and they're having a blast. One of my dogs refuses to go by any rock or stump or anything else without jumping on top of that stump and jumping off, right? Like <laughs> yeah. he's just playing the whole time. He's having so much fun. Yep. And it's, it's, a, it's a blast. It's a good way to enjoy trails that may you may consider boring or make, you know, it's just a, a good way, I think, to enjoy mountain biking. Yeah. So. And beyond that, it's better exercise for your dog. Totally. And guess what? If you take him on a five mile mountain bike ride, yeah, far better than walking around the neighborhood for an hour. Yeah. That's way better and more fun for you. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I've even seen people have trail Yorkies before and Chihuahuas. I've seen this as well. And of course, get fit with Fritz. Fritz is letting us know that Dachshunds can do it too. So don't just think that because you have some lap dog or something else that it can't go out on the trail. Maybe it can, maybe it can't, Yeah, but maybe it can. And so. even if you can only take your dog for two or three miles, like that's oh, yeah. still better than nothing. They'll love it. They, they will absolutely love it. Being out in nature, that it's, yeah, it's their favorite thing. Yeah. Yeah. And in a lot of cases, pro tip for dog walkers, you're way off the beaten path away from everything else and your dog will be going to bathroom in the bushes and you won't have to pick it up. Yeah. Moose, the, this is another if fun it, thing. If it poops on the trail, yes. Pick yeah. It. Pick it up. <laughs> this is the other fun thing about Moose is Moose always goes like 50 feet off trail and yes. poops into a bush. Gotcha. So privacy. Like perfect. Privacy. Privacy. Of course. Yeah. yeah he's decorating yeah. trees. Yeah. <laughs> okay. On that grim note, let's close it out with the tips. How's that grim? It was cute. Oh no. I was talking about decorating a tree with feces. That's pretty grim. <laughs> cute what Moose does, but yeah. you know, yeah, the okay. way I phrased it. Yeah. I mean, when you do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When humans do it, it's bad. All right. Let's get into the tips. You don't care. They'd count on your tips to live. You're a dork. <laughs> <laughs> Not nice. Okay. Uh, let's, uh, the first one, actually, Stephen, do you want to go ahead with yours? Oh, wow. We, we already covered Zach's. Yeah. Um, just to mix it up, if oh, that's okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I ended up breaking my handlebars <laughs> on the gravel bike. <laughs> We're not talking about it. Oh it's still goodness. a sore subject. Sore subject. This is yeah. so funny. Um, <laughs> but Easton was nice enough to uh, get me a set of the new E100 bars. Cool. E. Usually they have like EC or EA. EC meaning carbon, EA meaning aluminum. Yes. What does E mean? Uh, elite. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> so these bars, nice. um, I got the 44 centimeters and they weigh in at 182 grams. Okay. They're lighter than Envy bars. That's very light. The bends on them, that Easton has this really interesting drop on there. And I know I'm getting kind of roadie here yeah, because this is technically roadie. a road pair of handlebars, but it works yeah. really good on gravel bikes because there is a four degree out sweep. From awesome. in the drops, it's not the 16 like their EC70, the adventure bars. Yeah, that 16 degrees is way too much. I didn't yeah. want to go that far. So these are more comfortable for gravel bikes. They actually flare the the uh, the Force One hydraulic levers out just enough to be super comfortable, where I don't have to roll my wrist. Yeah, and the whole MCD, it's called uh, basically Max Compact Drop. Okay. 
the whole drop system is amazing on these bars. Very comfortable, good positions all the way around in it. Yep. And they're just scary light and super compliant. Nice. Like as far as comfort and vibration damping, amazing bars. Cool. And they're scary lightweight. Yeah. Hopefully that's a scary in a good way. I think it's going to be a good okay. thing because, <laughs> yeah. because the the broken section of my bar, yeah, the the three quarters of bar that I had left was forty four grams heavier than the complete. Wow, East one hundreds. Holy cow! Yeah, so they're amazing. Check them out. They've got really good. Um, they've got front and rear cable routing distressing uh-huh. on them, and. Um, they're just a really, really good looking and feeling handlebar. Can we uh, <clears throat> diverge really quick away from things and stick onto drop bars really quick? Because I know a lot of mountain bikers on here, you ask, what road bike should I get? That sort of a thing. So yeah. there are road curious folk on of here. Of course. Of course. As long as they're just curious. <laughs> yeah, <of course. laughs> so uh, I see a lot of people and it, you pro- and it might be a situation where you just, you bought the bike and the bars came with it. Yes. But you'll have those ergo drop bars. And I don't mean the flare out to yeah. the side. That's, that's nice within yeah. reason. But I'm talking about instead of it being a round drop bar where it just round comes back to yeah. you into the drops, it has like that staggered spot where it goes diagonal and it's flat for a bit then yeah. comes down yeah profile designs was famous for doing those yeah. yeah i have like never met a single person that actually likes those really likes them no. after using a good drop bar yes now a good drop bar and this i know i hear people say well what's the point of a shallow compact drop if you know you you, you it's not that far away from being up on the tops of the hoods but if you have a deep drop on your bars, you never use it. Never. I see it all the time. Yeah. People have a deeper drop on their bars and they think this will let me get more arrow, something else like that. You never end up using You're it. You're always right up against yep. the, the shifter pods. The and hood. if somebody else is running those ergo ones... You're always struggling. I see you. You're always struggling to find a spot where it's comfortable for your wrists and hands because it's just, it isn't comfortable. Yeah. The only way that that's comfortable is if you have your bars rolled forward like a super old school roadie, but your levers and everything else aren't designed for that setup these days. Yeah. It's not designed for that. So it's not a good way to do it. You want to have your handlebars, the top of your bars should be parallel to the ground, meaning that as if you're to look from the side and then your levers should continue that angle perfectly. Yes. And then the drop hopefully is a shallow drop. So it doesn't angle straight down and then cut back. And it just has a tight curl so that it comes back. And it's a changing radius curl. Yes. It's it's nice and tight at the drops. Yep. And then it slowly gets wider as you go. And that's where you get your difference, Mm -hmm. your different positions and how they feel on your wrists. Drop bar talk. I know. But it was was gravel talk. I've got 45-seat Riddlers on that bike. There we are. The most mountain bike that (laughs) thing could ever get. Well, I even seen people running drop bars on mountain bikes and and weird races or endurance races or anything else. Look at the new Haka MX from Ibis. Just have fun with it all. It's good stuff. Exactly. Uh, I've talked about togs before. That's why I called you a dork. <laughs> <laughs> I've talked about, I've talked, ah, so I, so I foiled your plan there when we, we switched to yours first. Yeah. Ah, I got you. Okay. Well, at least you still got it in. Yeah. Uh, so togs, they're the little guys that you put on the inside of your grips and they give you just a slight change in hand position. And I thought they were super silly and I would never run them at first. And then, then I was convinced to try them out. And once I tried them out, I was like, shoot, this sucks because I'm never going to be able to ride without these things again. Um, They're awesome. Okay. Steven has a smug look on his face, but just wait. He'll have a set of togs, I guarantee you. I didn't say anything (laughs) at all. Smug look. Um, I was just thinking uh, Ron Swanson from Parks and Rec (laughs) when they're at the the Whole Foods store. I think it was Sprouts, actually. 
and they were sampling vegan bacon. And he's like, mm, I will have a sample and then throws it in the garbage. He says, another, please. And then grabs it and throws it in the garbage. Yeah. So. You will actually like these things. I'm sure I will. Yeah, you will. And that's the, it's honestly, they're, they're they aren't bar ends. They don't stick way out. They aren't a problem like yeah. that. Uh, it just gives you another position or it gives you more stability in the position that you're probably already doing on long rides. Yeah. And this also, I mean, I don't know if you would want to run them if you're an enduro guy. I get it because you're really concerned with being cool and wearing bright colors. I totally get it. But the thing about it is you, I see so many people, especially in transfers, riding with their thumbs on top of their bars. And sometimes you get into situations where you just don't have as much control and you might want control in that situation. And that's um, fair. Yeah. And that's what this basically gives you just a little lock for your thumbs. Anyways, my biggest worry has been the fact that they're a hard little nub sticking up from my bars. Yeah. And I thought, what if I come down on my bar super hard and that thing goes into a rib, it's going to break a rib potentially. Okay. I think they read my mind. They made things called flex togs. So it's basically, it's a tog, same shape, but the upper portion is rubber. Mm. So it could bend down. Nice. What? I think I found your stocking stuffer. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah I'm not putting them on shot. the Jekyll. I'll put them on the Cannondale on the, the the scalpel when it shows up. We will get pictures of this so then everyone can see. Stephen will, and then Stephen will swear by the togs. I guarantee. I you. don't know if I'll swear by him. I'll I, give him a shot. I think you'll swear. But by I'm also going to put ESIs on the scalpel, so you already got me there. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, too much XC talk. Let's knock that out. Yeah. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Yes. Submit your questions at mtbpodcast.com. You can mm-hmm. find the podcast on iTunes and other things. You can now rate the podcast directly from the podcast app. You don't have to go to iTunes anymore. Oh, dang. Um, so please give us a five-star review unless you think that we deserve otherwise. And if that's the case, let us know what we can do to change that. And if you also want to take your review and maybe move it up some stars, <laughs> you can also do that. You can always <laughs> update your review. Gotcha. Should we talk about less XC to make that happen? Maybe. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, find us on social things, Instagram, everywhere else. We'll talk to you all next week. Have a nice day. Hey guys, Jonathan here. Just wanted to thank you again for listening and let you know that if you like the song that you're hearing now and the one that you heard in the intro, it comes from Wave Riders Entertainment, my good friend, Tommy Walter. Check it out if you're looking for more beats like this or some awesome tracks to listen to. We'll talk to you next week.